Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us to worship you, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for these stories of, of old from thousands of years ago, Lord, that um, we can see the record of your goodness and your power. And Lord, even today, although there are many things that feel like we can't relate to them, Lord, we know that you are the same God of these of these stories in the scriptures, that you are still working in us and around us and through us today. So Lord God, we pray today that you would draw us near to you, that you would open the eyes of our hearts and our minds, and Lord, that we would see you more clearly, that we would understand your heart, and more than anything, Lord, that we would lead, be led to have a deeper desire to worship you and to surrender to you as the only worthy one of our allegiance. Lord, we pray, God, that you would be glorified in our midst today, Lord, and that in our hearts you would take the rightful seat on the throne of our lives. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, uh, whom we praise, and we pray that his name would be glorified through our response to your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think we can all agree that everybody loves an underdog story, right? And we see the story of David and Goliath unfolding. And I'm not, we're not going to talk about the battle because honestly, the battle is not super important. And scripture only really gives us two sentences about the actual battle. What's really important is what leads up to the battle. The same way we get all this anticipation anytime the NBA or the NFL or whatever sports you watch is entering that playoff season. And everyone's making their predictions about the finals or the Super Bowl, or whatever it'll be. If they can do it, the news will always try to create a narrative of David and Goliath. Why? Because this is the underdog story of all underdog stories. We all love Star Wars, right? Hunger Games, and in sports, right? And you know, I love the Lynn Sanity story, <laughs> if any of you guys know that story, right? But, but I think... As, we, as we're uh, in 1 Samuel, as we're looking at the story of David, Saul, and today we're talking about Goliath, I think it's worth really asking, why do we as human beings just connect so well with an underdog story? Why does that just capture us? What about that makes it so relatable? And I think that there's a few things. Um, I'm not going to talk about all of them, but I think one big thing is that everyone is fighting a battle. Everyone is fighting a battle right now. Everyone in this room, everyone outside of this room, the entire world. We're all fighting some kind of battle. And the reason why we love an underdog story is because in an underdog story, there's always some kind of giant, right? Like a Goliath type figure or an entity. And it seems undefeatable, right? Goliath was literally larger than life, right? Just his armor weighed like over a thousand pounds. And he was able to carry it and wear it. And there's something so inspiring about the story of David and Goliath because this undefeatable enemy was defeated. And I think that the reason we relate to these underdog stories is because each of us are fighting a battle. And let's be honest, most of us aren't doing that great. Many of us are like the armies in the story today. We're not actually fighting the battle. We're on the battlefield, but we're on the sidelines and we're shaking in our boots. And we relate to what an underdog story is about because we hope, 
We hope that like David, we would have the courage to step forward to fight the battle and to come out victorious. You see, we all have an enemy. We all have a battle. And we all have a desire for victory. And that's why the question that I I wanted to ask us today is, what is the key to a victorious life? What is the key to a victorious life? And I believe the Bible tells us the answer. The central idea of today's text is that the key to a victorious life is absolute trust in the only invincible champion. The key to a victorious life is absolute trust in the only invincible champion. I hear sermons about David and Goliath a lot. I'm sure you have as well if you've ever been to church before. And oftentimes, sadly, the story is, you're David. Go fight your Goliath and win. But before we get any further in the story and in the scripture, let me make it clear. You're not David in this story. You may have a Goliath in your life, but you are not David. You are not the champion that will be the solution to your own most important battle. Of course, Jesus is the only invincible champion. You see, everything in the Old Testament points to the new. The same way the exodus in, in, of uh, the Israelites in Egypt, it was real slavery. It was real miracles of God. But ultimately, it was pointing forward to the slavery of sin that Jesus would free us from through his life, death, and resurrection. Likewise, the story of David and Goliath is a foreshadowing of the undefeatable enemy of sin and wickedness that none of us were able to even go into battle with the hope of victory. But Jesus himself, as our champion, went into battle, left heaven and came down to earth, took on flesh to become one of us, fully God and fully man, lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He resisted every temptation and attack of the enemy. He gave himself up to death and crucifixion on a cross. And that was evil's greatest attempt to kill God himself. But he rose on the third day to prove to us that he is worthy, that he is invincible, that no amount of evil and no scheme of the enemy can stop him. See, the only invincible champion in all history and in all reality is Jesus Christ himself. And the key to a victorious life is us giving him our absolute trust. So the sermon in a sentence today is this. You must trust Jesus as your champion, but also as your king and your power. Trust Jesus. Trust in Jesus as your champion, as your king, and as your power. As I mentioned before, where do we see ourselves in the story? And, and really, you know, the saying that everyone's a hero in their own story is true, but this is not our story. We are not the hero in today's story. We are not David. Where do we place ourselves in the passage today? Number one, it could be the Israelites. In verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were very much afraid. Yes, that might be you coming into church today. You know what I'm talking about when I said everyone's fighting a battle. You know there's, an, there's a Goliath in your life, something that you know shouldn't exist, that you want victory over, but you fail time and time again. Maybe you're just standing on the sidelines shaking in your boots. Or maybe 
And I want you to picture yourself in this. Maybe we should place ourselves in the position of Saul. Now, Saul's known for not so many great things, right? Last week, we talked about Saul's disobedience and how God rejected him as king. And that sets up today's story because this is part of David ascending to the throne. He'd already been anointed by the prophet Samuel at this point in the story. When we look at Saul in verse 33 to 37, when David says he will fight this Philistine, Saul says to David at first, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth and he has been a man of war from his youth. You see, Saul didn't want David to fight this battle, but in verse 37, something changes. Something changes in Saul's heart. When David convinces him, Saul says to David, go and the Lord be with you. It's actually my prayer today that we would see ourselves in Saul's shoes for today's passage. Who doubted if David could be the champion to deliver the people at first. But later in the story, he sent and abdicated the position of champion to David to go and fight and to win victory for the entire nation of Israel. The first part of the sermon incentive was trust in Jesus as your champion. Right? And not anyone can be a champion. I said, you're not David in, the, in today's story. We're not David. And you know why? Because even in today's story, not anyone could just go out and fight this Philistine. If you know a little bit about the backstory, it's not just that anybody could just go out into the battlefield and fight Goliath with only their life at stake. Here were the terms of the deal. Goliath said, why don't you send a man out to fight me? I'll fight on behalf of the Philistine army. And whoever wins, their entire army will become slaves to the other army. That's what was at stake here. It wasn't just, hey, king of the court, Who's up next? No, it was going to be determined in one fight, one champion to represent victory or defeat for the entire army of Israel or the Philistines. So the stakes were too high. Now, let me tell you this. The stakes of your soul are too high for you to be your own champion. You're not qualified. You're not qualified to fight your own Goliath or whatever it is in your life. And I hope you're piecing together that the main Goliath in your life is sin. I said earlier, everyone's fighting a battle. Maybe your battle is with poverty. Maybe it's a financial battle. Maybe your battle is abuse. Maybe your battle is addiction. Maybe your battle is against corrupt systems that are holding you down. Maybe your battle is against the consequences of your own failures. Maybe your battle is against depression, anxiety, or whatever, but the underlying common factor of all these battles is that they are products of sin. You see, you cannot solve that battle. You are not the worthy champion to go out and win. You can't live a victorious life by stepping into the battlefield on your own. See, God had chosen David for this moment. God had chosen David for this moment, and David knows it. He shows up at the battlefield, a place he didn't belong. He was the youngest of the sons. You can see his oldest brother is like annoyed that he's even there because he actually watched his brother get anointed as the next king of Israel right in front of him, and he was rejected. 
But look at David's reasoning in verse 34 to 37, why he should go out and fight. He said, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. When there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. You see, he's not fighting for himself. He's fighting on behalf of the army. He's not fighting for his own glory. He's fighting for the dignity of the God of Israel. And David says with confidence in verse 37, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. See, David was qualified. He had never been in battle before. But let's not miss this, okay? He killed lions and bears. And I think like sometimes we don't think about it. We think like, oh, he's using an argument of, hey, I've, I've defeated lesser beings. Therefore, Goliath will be handed to me. No, he's actually saying the opposite. He's saying, I've defeated lions and bears. This person, this human being is no match. I mean, just think about it. If you were put in a death match and your life depended on it, would you rather go up against a large human being or would you rather go up against a lion or a bear? I'll take my chances with another human being. David is overqualified for this moment, even though no one else seems to acknowledge it. He knows that he can defeat Goliath. Why? Not because he's an amazing fighter, but because he says in verse 37, the Lord delivered me from the lion. The Lord delivered me from the bear and the Lord will deliver me from this mere man. This is why we must trust in Jesus as our champion. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. I said everyone's fighting a battle, but I don't think any of us are fighting a literal battle right now like David and the Israelites were. Don't walk away from this message saying, okay, I need to go kill someone. That's not the point of today's passage. This battle is foreshadowing the more important battle of our lives, which is our battle against sin and evil. This is why Jesus came to reverse the work of the enemy in the garden. And he is the worthy champion. He is God himself. Let's turn to Romans 8, 35 to 39. Turn there with me. Romans 8. 35 to 39. Actually, let's start in verse 31. Romans 8, verse 31. We'll read to 39. It says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Who can, who can be against us if Christ is for us? Christ, who defeated death. Christ, who was the only begotten Son of God, who came down to earth, who took upon the sins of the world on his shoulders. He was perfect in every way. And he was raised from the dead. You see, Paul's writing the letter of Romans, and many of the New Testament Letters are written to people who are under intense persecution. Their lives are at stake. They're like the people of Benin that we're praying and reading about earlier today who feel like in this life they are losing the battle. Just like the Israelites felt like there is no champion that can defeat this Goliath for us. But Paul reminds us that we have a worthy champion. We have a champion that is Credible. Why? Because he died and rose from the dead. Because he justified sinners. Because we are conquerors in him. He has overcome the world. And even in death, even if we are to die in this life, that we cannot be defeated. Why? Because Jesus is our champion. Secondly, we need to trust in Jesus as our king. Now, as I mentioned today, I want us to see ourselves as Saul. And something that Saul should get credit for in today's passage, as much as I don't like him, and I think it's so easy to not like Saul, he does something that is commendable in today's passage. He goes from telling David, you cannot fight this. Because think about it. He's responsible for Israel. Right? He's the king. So if he selects the wrong champion to go out and fight, and that champion loses... That's a disaster. So he's exercising wisdom and discernment here by saying, David, you can't go. You're just a boy. This guy's, this guy's a beast. He's undefeated champion of the Philistines. But after David tells him his reasoning, Saul says to David in verse 37, go and the Lord be with you. You see, you know, not everyone's a hero in a village. We even know David as, as, as good as he is. He didn't have a good ending. You know, he was a, a murderous adulterer at the end of the day. But Saul here in this moment, although Saul was doing a lot of bad things, he should have been the champion to go out and fight himself. He sees that David needs to go. And he takes a leap of faith here to let David go and fight the battle for him and for the entire Israelite army. But what Saul failed to do what Saul failed to do, not so much in this story, but as the story progresses, is that he failed to step off of his throne and let David be the king. God had rejected Saul, and those words were made clear to him from the prophet Samuel. God had told him, there will be another that I raise up. You see, Saul wanted a champion, but he didn't want a king. Saul wanted someone to go out and fight the battles for Israel. He wanted David to be essentially his employee. But David's purpose wasn't to just be a man of war. David's purpose wasn't just to be a general. David was anointed to be the king of Israel. You see, Saul begins to see this 
after David defeats Goliath. And he becomes jealous. He becomes possessive of his throne. And he literally devotes every thought and every emotion to how he can destroy David and preserve his place on the throne. Essentially, the rest of Saul's story is a bad one. Where he's an enemy to the will of God. Refusing to give up the throne. Where am I going with this? Jesus is not just our champion who paid for the price of our sins on the cross. He is our king. He did that to reclaim his rightful place as king over our hearts and of the entire world. And there will be a day when he returns where he makes sure by force that all of that will happen. But until that day comes, we are in a season of grace where we can willingly give up the throne of our own lives, stop trying to be our own champions, and also to stop trying to be our own kings. Because as unworthy as you are to be your champion against your own sin, you are also unworthy to be the king of your own life. There's only one worthy king for your life. His name is Jesus. And in his victory on the cross, we ought to trust him, not only to take care of our sin, but to be the ruler of our soul. Not like Saul, who wanted David to be his champion, to go out and win his battles, but didn't want David to be his king. Let's not make that mistake. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 21, verse 5 to 8. It's the last book of the Bible, so it'll be easier if you flip from the back. And I want you to hear these words of Jesus. This is the final picture. When heaven and earth... The old version has passed away where Satan and all the wicked whose names are not found in the book of life have been thrown into the lake of fire and God has restored new heaven and new earth. It says, I'll start in verse 3 actually, 21 verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne of heaven saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write these down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. What is Jesus talking about here? He's saying, I'm the king. I'm seated on the throne there is only victory and conquering in me. The one who is faithless, the one who is cowardly, detestable, the one who is still sticking to the pattern of their own ways, the ones who have resolved to try to be their own champion or to be the own king of their lives will not inherit the new heaven and the new earth. We need to ask ourselves this question. Is Jesus our king or is he just our champion? Do we love to think about Jesus loving us and taking our sin away from us on the cross? But not give him full control of our lives. 
A few sermons ago, I talked about how it's so easy to blur the line that God is our servant and we're the king. Because God, being our king, serves us because he's so gracious and merciful. But if we take his grace for granted, we can lie to ourselves and believe that he works for us. But he's the king. He's not our servant. He is our champion because he is our king. It's because he's the king that he was worthy to be our champion and to solve the battle, the biggest battle of our lives, which is the problem of our own sin. And lastly, we must trust in Jesus as our power. We talk a lot about David, and I've been paralleling David and Jesus, but of course David was far from being Jesus, although he foreshadows Jesus in this passage as his ancient ancestor. Where did David get this power? Let's turn one chapter back to Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. I'll read it for us. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, this is David, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. See, the reason David is so confident the reason David's so sure that he needs to go and fight Goliath, the reason David knew he was going to win even before he stepped out, the reason David knew he didn't need any armor or sword, he just needed his slings, some stones, and a staff, the reason he had that was because he was filled with the power of God in his spirit. David was filled with the spirit of God. And here's the thing. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God being on a person was a rare occasion. It was a very rare occasion. But Jesus Christ tells his disciples before his crucifixion, it is better for me to go away so that the Spirit will come. We should think about that. Jesus Christ, our Savior, he said it would be better for him to not be here and for us to have his Spirit. Why? Because the Bible tells us that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us as children of God. I'm going to turn again to Romans 8. You don't need to turn there with me if you're getting tired. I'll read it for us. Romans 8, verse 9 to 11. It says, however, you... You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. David beat Goliath. Saul didn't want him to become king. Saul trusted him to fight his battles, but he didn't trust him with the throne. Let's not make that mistake with Jesus. He died on the cross. He's worthy of, that, of winning that battle. We have victory in him, and we should make him king of our lives. But in addition to that, the cross should be evidence for us that Christ is able to continue to win victories in our lives over our sin. What battle of sin are you losing to that you've grown fatigued to repenting of maybe even given up saying that i'm just never going to change <clears throat> trust me i've been there 
If you've been a Christian for any serious amount of time, you've been there where you realize, maybe this is the end of my sanctification. Maybe I can't get any better than this. Maybe I'm too far gone from God. Maybe I'm just too broken, and this is where, this is just the best I'm going to be. And that's when we need to trust in Jesus as our power. Because he didn't just display his power on the cross and his resurrection, but he's continuing to live powerfully through us today through his spirit. Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1.8, Then you will receive power from on high to be his witnesses. I'll close on this one. 2 Timothy 1 verses 7. I quote this verse a lot because I love it. It's such a reminder. It says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Last week we talked about fear and its relationship with obedience, that you're going to obey the thing you fear the most. Maybe the thing you fear the most is your own sin. Maybe the thing you fear the most is your own failure. Maybe the thing you fear the most is your future. But God didn't give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of power, love, and self-control. And it doesn't matter what comes our way. It doesn't matter that we don't know what the future holds. None of us literally know how much longer we're going to live. But we can trust in Jesus as our power. Not only the power to save us so we have the eternal assurance of heaven. But the power to resurrect us. The power to overcome the sins of our life that we cannot control. I shared this story with you guys a lot, but I started smoking cigarettes when I was 13 years old. By the time I was 21, I smoked a pack a day till I, uh, for eight years. And I tried to quit so many times because I knew it was bad for me. But it wasn't until I became a Christian that the Spirit of God became my power. And the Spirit of God doesn't just show up with power like the force in Star Wars. The Spirit of God instructs us and tells us what to do. And the Spirit of God told me as I was turning 21, do you want to be a man that relies on these cancer sticks? I began to hate that version of myself. And he told me, lock yourself in the church for three days. So for three days, I didn't leave the church. And I've never smoked a cigarette since. And it has nothing to do with my willpower. It has nothing to do with anything else because I was an utter failure. I had a track record of failing. But it was because of the power of the Spirit. Are you willing to trust in the power of the Spirit to overcome the sins in your life that feel like Goliath? Because that's really the battle that we need to be fighting. The big battles, you're not your own champion for your own salvation. You're not your own king to rule your own life. But Jesus does want us to serve Him by displaying His, his glory and starting to live out the righteousness He's already given us as a gift. Unless we make him king and rely on his power, we will not see victory in the sins that still linger. So let's be reminded that the spirit of God who, who raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. This is not a spirit of, of fear, but a power, love, and self-control. And if Jesus is truly our king, and he is, and if his spirit is truly in us, which it is as Christians, then we have all we need. We don't need the armor of Saul. We just need what God has already given us, and he will win the victories for us. What battle are you fighting right now? What battle should you be in right now, but you're sitting on the sidelines and afraid? Here's the good news for you. You're not your own champion. You're not your own king, and you don't have the power. 
But Jesus does. And he's given up himself and everything and his spirit so that we can live a victorious life, not only on this side of eternity, but with him forever when he returns. Isn't that what we want? We can start living that and experiencing that today. And we can start seeing God glorify himself in the little victories of our life. As we trust in him completely as the only worthy champion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. And God, I just pray for all of us, Lord. There's, there's sin in our lives that we still wrestle with. And Lord, sometimes we get so tired of wrestling, we just give up. But Lord, I pray that you would give us the will to fight today, that we would fight for holiness, for you are holy. Lord, that we would fight not with the insecurity of whether or not we will be saved or not, but under the security of love, knowing that nothing will separate us from Christ. It wasn't our track record that saved us, and it's not our track record that can unsave us, Lord. It's all you. You are the only worthy champion. You are the only worthy king. You are the only power that can defeat the schemes of the enemy on the cross, but also the schemes of the enemy in our own lives, in our own hearts, Lord. So God, lead us in your spirit to turn to you, to trust you, not to grieve you, but to surrender to you, knowing that you have our good in mind, that you will complete the work of being our king. Lord, we look forward to the day that we could reign with you as conquerors. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your spirit that is not a fear, but a power, love, and self-control. Lord, we thank you that we can live a victorious life because of the victory that you've earned us. You've promised us in this world we will have tribulation, but fear not, for you have overcome the world. Lord, what good news is this? Help us to live as those who know that victory is already guaranteed. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.